0: Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker gave his annual State of the State and Budget Address this past week. Pritzker's $53 billion spending proposal is being criticized by Republicans because it's the largest budget in state history. And a portion of that spending is being proposed to help address the ongoing busing of migrants from the southern border to Illinois. Illinois. Republicans chided that as well, but Pritzker, some could say, fought back in his speech. Here is that part of the speech with breaks for applause edited out in the interest of time.
1: I would build a wall of steel, a wall as high as heaven against the admission of a single one of those Southern Europeans who never thought the thoughts or spoke the language of a democracy in their lives. Those words were spoken a hundred years ago by Georgia Governor Clifford Walker at a Ku Klux Klan rally. But the reality is, it could have been a social media post by Donald Trump last week. (laughs) Time might march forward, but our society's worst impulses seem never to go away. I've spoken many times about my own family's refugee history. I will not join the chorus of people in this country. Or in this chamber, who eagerly looked to slam shut an immigration door that was once open to our ancestors. Over the last 18 months, more than 35,000 asylum seekers have arrived in Illinois. Most of them landed here in buses sent by Governor Abbott of Texas. Abbott willfully planned the arrival of these individuals in locations and at times that would engender the maximum chaos for the city of Chicago and for the asylum seekers themselves. Children, pregnant women, and the elderly have been sent here in the dead of night, left far from our designated welcome centers, in freezing temperatures, wearing flip flops and t-shirts. Think about that the next time a politician from Texas wants to lecture you about being a good Christian. Our immigration system has been broken for a long time. No doubt the current migrant crisis is a problem of the federal government's making, and I mean both political parties. I am sure that when I leave the podium today there will be some who will walk outside this chamber looking for a microphone so they can start yelling about sanctuary cities and immigrants taking our tax dollars. I hope that the press covering those statements will ask these politicians one important question. Did you or did you not support the federal immigration bill that the White House agreed to with Senate Republicans? There was a chance two weeks ago for a breakthrough on immigration policy and the president and congressional Democrats did what most voters say they want from leaders. They sat down at the table with Republicans and negotiated a bipartisan compromise. The White House announced a bill that was supported by top Republican leadership in the Senate. And then within hours, hours, Republicans who had helped write the legislation announced that they were suddenly against the legislation, including, most glaringly, every single Republican member of the Illinois congressional delegation. Why did this happen? Why did every single Republican run away from something that they claimed they desperately want? Because Donald Trump told them to, and they're afraid of him. And why did Trump tell them to reject the bill? Because he wanted to use the issue of immigration against President Biden in the November elections. I'm not making hyperbolic statements here. Donald Trump said that out loud. That bill would have helped Illinois. It would have provided money and resources that we don't normally receive as a state far from the southern border. Maybe some Republicans find it hard to put country over party, but our obligations to the people we represent supersede the letter after our names. Joe Biden has been a very good president who has rescued the economy and protected freedom, but states and cities, states and cities in the country's interior are not equipped alone to handle the rapid influx of new arrivals that we have seen. The White House and the federal government need to step up to coordinate and manage these asylum seekers when they cross the border. And they shouldn't leave it to the governor of Texas, who has no goal but to sow chaos and destruction. Listen, maybe some of you think that we should just say, this is not our problem, and that we should let the migrant families starve or freeze to death. But that's not what decent Midwesterners do. That's not what leaders do. We didn't ask for this manufactured crisis, but we must deal with it all the same. With our partners in Cook County and the city of Chicago, my administration has worked to develop a cost-effective and comprehensive response plan over the next 12 months. We used the most reliable data available and estimated what it would take to ensure that the most basic human needs are met for asylum seekers arriving in Chicago. This plan also includes continuing our efforts to divert as many people as possible away from temporary shelter to more permanent settlement, wherever that may be. Not because we are unwelcoming of immigrants, but because Chicago's shelter system is near capacity and it is dangerous if migrants have no shelter or support at all. To date, we've moved 9,000 individuals through the process from arrival to temporary shelter, to independent housing and self-sufficiency. Thousands of others have moved on to find family or sponsors. We've also helped thousands through the temporary protected status and employment authorization process so they can legally work. Private industry in Illinois has expressed a strong desire to hire those who are authorized to work. So I committed to the mayor of Chicago and the Cook County Board President that I would come to the General Assembly and ask for funding for a little over 50% of the cost of this plan, which comes to $181.7 million. We don't have any clear idea how long Governor Abbott intends to hold the nation hostage. But his political stunt will eventually come to an end. So let's start planning for its aftermath. Ensuring that during the coming fiscal year, some of the 30 temporary migrant shelters can and ought to be converted to other productive uses. As determined by the communities themselves. Neighborhood clinics, community centers, workforce training, housing. There are lots of good ideas that I've heard from people. So we have designated $5 million in this budget for shelter conversion grants. Now, I won't pretend that any of this is easy, but it would be irresponsible to do anything but come here, lay out the scope of the challenge, tell you what I think we need to do, and then work with you to make it happen. Personally, I think each of us should follow the examples set by the good people of our state. Evanston's Mike Moyer is fixing up bicycles to donate to migrants. Chicago's Samantha Ulovong is teaching English to our new neighbors on a South Loop basketball court. And then there's Oak Park's Elaine Pierce. A retiree, Elaine opened her modest two-story, three-bedroom home to seven new family members, as she would say, absorbing all of the costs on her own. Mike, Samantha, and Elaine are among the best of us, epitomizing what it means to be an Illinoisan through and through. Let's thank them today. Our FY25 budget proposal makes some hard choices. I wish we had big surpluses to work with this year to take on every one of the very real challenges that we face. It's important to note that while this budget is tight this year, our fiscal house is in order and we are able to keep our communities and our commitments to those communities and to the people of Illinois. This year's budget proposal is focused and disciplined. And because of the responsible actions we took in the last few years, paying off state debt and treating federal pandemic relief as one-time revenue, we are not facing the budgetary challenges that other big states are this year. California, for example, has a $38 billion deficit to contend with. Meanwhile, Illinois' budget is balanced, and it builds upon all of the progress that we've made, paying our pensions in full, investing more in our public schools, social service agencies, and healthcare while addressing the immediate and unique needs of the coming fiscal year. Now, I expect that some of you will want to spend more, and some of you will claim that you want to spend less. I know this. I'm always open to good ideas that members of both parties have to more efficiently and effectively fulfill our obligations. My one line in the sand is that I will only sign a budget that is responsibly balanced and that does not diminish or derail the improving credit standing we have achieved for the last five years.
0: Governor J.B. Pritzker. You can find complete coverage of Pritzker's budget proposals at WMBDRadio.com. A local group is raising environmental and other concerns over a proposed tax increment financing district in Peoria's warehouse district, one the Peoria City Council will consider this Tuesday night. The Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance says there's a history of environmental and racial injustice in the area where the proposed district would encompass that they say has disproportionately affected minorities. Joyce Herant as a member of the Alliance.
2: We are not here to discuss whether or not there should be TIFs. You know we're, this is about the, the additional text that you've been sent that we would like to have added to the TIF. We are not seeking that you know that this is a broader discussion than what it is. Um, and let me first point out the TIF map here so that you can see where it is. It starts uh, sort of south of the uh, Cedar Street Bridge and goes down and here you've got, uh, this is a, a railroad track and then uh, Western Avenue. So it sort of goes from the Cedar Street Bridge, follows along Washington and picks up you know, um, that area a little bit broader than of course just the street and then narrows down going to, the, to Western Avenue area. Uh, Also in your packet, you have this toxic air index that shows you what the pollution level is for air uh, in the area of this distillery tiff. And the, the burden, the environmental burden that the people living in this area have borne for decades, this is just a snapshot of today, but it's not something that's new. It's been going on for decades. We also know that a few years ago, the city of, of Peoria and the county of Peoria created this the Joint Commission on Racial Justice and Equity, and in their 2022 uh, annual report, they identified. That the South Side suffers from tremendous social and health disparities, which means that the lifespan of our black community members who are living in the South Side is much, much less than if they're, than white uh, individuals in other parts of the county. Uh, plus other health disparities in terms of asthma, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. These are all outcomes of the kinds of decisions that were made years ago in terms of what would be ultimately impacting the lives of people who live in that area. On February 1st, the Joint Review Board was created, Joint Committee Review Board, I always get that a little bit reversed, was created for this distillery TIF, and that's all of the taxing bodies that are impacted by the TIF and a citizen. And in that meeting, the topic of environmental justice was raised as a serious concern given redevelopment in this distillery TIF area. And there was first a resolution that was passed that the committee recommended the redevelopment plan that had been developed by the city and by a consultant to the city council for a public hearing this coming Tuesday, the 27th. There was a second motion because of the discussion about uh, racial justice uh, and equity and environmental justice. The second motion was to add text to this plan to add clarification and further emphasize the Joint Review Board's discussion today as it relates to matters of environmental and social justice concerns. So with that, uh, community residents developed the text to add to this redevelopment proposal. And I believe you all have received that those additions. And they mainly center on two things. So that we don't increase the environmental burden. And I guess one thing I have uh, forgotten to mention. This area where people live is also designated as by the Environmental Protection Agency and the state of Illinois as an environmental justice area, which means that special considerations should be given to these geographic areas because of the burdens, the historic pollution burdens that people living in these areas have had for so many decades. So we know that the BioUrge plant had was considering putting in a CO2 no, uh, a uh, hazardous CO2 pipeline to take carbon dioxide from its fermentation process and run it down the, the Washington Street area uh, to go south to sequester it someplace. Um, we have been told that just still hasn't made a decision on that, but we have not been able to talk with them directly. Um, so we are concerned that these TIF funds can be used for a CO2 pipeline. So that's one of our our um, additions that we would like added, is that no, none of these TIF funds can be used to uh, install a new um, carbon dioxide pipeline. And the second is that no new U.S. EPA or state EPA air or water pollution permits be used, that no TIF funds be used if a development would require a new U.S. EPA or state EPA air or water pollution permit or that would, if you had an existing permit, that you would be seeking to increase the levels of that permit. So basically we're saying no new pollution, no new air and water pollution. We're not saying no development. We're just saying let's not add above certain levels for the pollution and no CO2 pipelines. So when the city of Peoria and the county created the joint commission For racial justice, um, they have in the language of the Red Book that our community, like all communities in our country, struggles with the legacy of slavery and prejudice. That legacy is harmful not just to people of color, but to all of our community members and jeopardizes the future successes of our community. Further states, we are committed to changing the impact of that legacy through this plan, and that's the referring to the Red Book, the 2022 plan. And then later on in that same document, the Racial Justice and Equity Commission uh, explains environmental justice. Uh, communities are areas that bear the disproportionate weight of pollution and its toxic effects. And they identify that their purpose is to identify recommendations to improve areas of racial justice and equity within our community and to establish a structure that would transition into a collective impact model that would engage the community and address issues for racial justice And equity. And their mission is to accelerate efforts to institutionalize racial justice and equity within the county and city government and to advance its adoption throughout the region. So I I believe that what we are asking for here, and you will hear from our speakers, is that we are asking for a change from the status quo of what's happened in the past. It's demanded, it's required by this document, I believe. And that we need to be looking through a different lens when we create policy. And that changing from the status quo way of enacting policy which continues to add burdens to those who have been living for decades in areas with high pollution and disinvestments is what must happen For the city of Peoria to live up to their aspirations when they formed the Joint Commission on Social Justice, on Racial Justice and Equity. So from my perspective, the change needs to start here. We now have the opportunity to start down that path.
0: Joyce Herent of the Central Illinois Healthy Community Alliance. Government leaders gathered in Peoria this past week for a roundtable discussion related to infrastructure. One of the main topics of the discussion, hosted by Congressman Eric Sorensen, featured how to fill engineering jobs in the field. Illinois Secretary of Transportation Omar Osman estimates that more than 75,000 jobs will be needed in the next five years. The roundtable also discussed what it means to modernize infrastructure. Osman says part of that includes using materials for building bridges and roads that would increase its lifespan but he says it also features designing bridges to be used for more than just a means to drive a vehicle across
3: osmond spoke with wmbd's tj carson what stood out to you the most oh my goodness the discussion about workforce uh that is something in the mind of uh all of us the DOTs, the dot leaders the industry we know this is a critical portion uh of, of what we need to get done when it comes to infrastructure. How are you going to develop your future workforce? And, the, and if you recall the conversation we have had, we started talking about uh, going back uh, to the high school, to the junior high, building that bench uh, that we will need for decades to come. I'm not talking about today. Or tomorrow, I'm talking about the next decade, the next 20 years, the next 30 years, with the technology changing, with things changing around us, you will need that new uh, innovative thinking, innovative way of uh, of looking at, uh, you know, how you're going to advance your Infrastructure. How are you gonna come up with new innovative way of getting it done, getting it done faster? How are you gonna make it resilient? How are you gonna deal with climate change with environmental issues? All that new way of thinking uh, needs to uh, come to the forefront, and we won't get that until you build that new. You know, as we talking about it, we need to build the new generation, uh, future generation.
4: What oh, can be. Yeah. What can be done now and what can be done down the line to help develop that workforce? There was a lot of focus on uh, the youth and getting them interested in it, but it sounded like that there's a lot of projects that have needs now.
3: They do, and, and we, we do have very capable uh, workforce, whether it's on the labor side or whether it's on the engineering side. What we're talking about is as our infrastructure funding uh, becomes bigger and bigger like we have today, And these projects are going to come to fruition uh, next two years, next three years, next four years. So it is incumbent upon us to train the next cadre of engineers and technicians, even those high school graduates going back in there, going back, maybe higher from high schools. Uh, just like we did for Illinois DOT in the 1980's. Uh, We have very capable uh, uh, engineering technicians who just came out of high school and they were trained on the job. That that sort of uh, capability we will need. You will need the sort of capability of of, of, uh, enticing these high schoolers and junior highs into going into that technical field when they grow for uh, three four years down the road or even two years by going to ICC and junior colleges that kind of uh, critical thinking that kind of educational background is what we need for two years for three years but what I was talking about is enlarging that pool in a bigger way by going even further into the junior high when 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 kids are actually start thinking about what 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 do I want to be. So we need to capture them right there at that stage.
4: Is it just expanding the pool or is it also trying to get some of these kids trained in specific jobs with engineering?
3: Both. Both. You know engineering is there's quite a variety of engineering right now. It's not the basic uh, civil, mechanical, electrical, chemical, the five or, or six basic you know, there's quite a variety on each and every one of them have that technical background on technical, you know, you will be educated as a technical person, as a problem solver, regardless of what kind of engineering you want. And those are the type of engineers we will need, whether it's for infrastructure, whether it's for roadways or, or bridges, whether if, if we're looking at, like I was talking to the mayor early, whether we're looking at the Chicago to uh, Peoria Amtrak that uh, could possibly be here in the next five, ten years. That kind of that kind of prep work. For, that, for the workforce is what we need for those mega projects. The, the critical part of it to, to me a, you know, when I talk to the industry is it's not training them and have several projects and no projects down the road. You need that uh, consistency. You need the consistent funding where once uh, some projects are done, there are next lines of projects that are in the, in the pipeline for,
4: uh, for us to do. Is there an estimate on how many jobs and engineering positions you would need to fill within the next five years?
3: Well, the estimate I have read at a national level, at a national level is anywhere between 75,000 and 80,000 engineers will be needed. Fresh engineers added uh, to the workforce we have today will be needed for us to deliver the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is the IIJ, the $1.2 uh, trillion dollar we had in 2019 is what uh, i think american society of civil engineers have estimated and that's that's what we are operating from
4: and there was also talk of not just filling the needs for current bills that have been passed but you're thinking ahead to bills in the future and some of those projects that are needed down the line
3: yes indeed uh to us it's, it's a matter of sustainability you know the what is what have hurt our infrastructure Historically, is the ups and downs of funding. You you will you will be living in good time, and then it's dry season. Uh, there's nothing uh, there's nothing out there, so that is not good for the infrastructure and for the well-being of the infrastructure as we have it today. You have to continuously do the upkeep. You have to con- continuously expand where you need to expand uh, because things are changing. You know the population is changing. People move around in, in a different setting now. And you have to uh, be—you have to consistently work on your infrastructure. Yeah.
4: The other thing I wanted to touch upon uh, that you brought up today is modernization of infrastructure. Because, to kind of paraphrase what you said, it's not the '60s or '70s anymore. Right.
3: It's not. It's not. Any, and we tried to even resolve some of the—you uh, know—as good a, as good an idea the interstate was in the '60s. Uh, it created some of the issues, too, and it, it, you could go especially to major cities and, and you see how the interstate have split communities, have, might have impacted communities in a ne- some communities in a, in, in a negative way. So these kind of uh, unintended consequences, I, I, I may say, needs to be addressed today. Resiliency is extremely important. Some of the bridges we have built on Illinois is blessed with major river bridges, including right here in Peoria, where there's a McLeod, whether where there's Bob Michael, where there's a Shed Loman, all these bridges and all the bridges we have uh, you know, across the Illinois River, across the Mississippi River, all these bridges were built with the idea of them lasting us fifty years. But through our ingenuity we kept repairing and we, we we did a good job on the upkeep. Now they lasted us for more than 50 years. So when we remove and replace, we should not be designing for the next 50 years. We should be designing for the next 100 years by being innovative in what kind of material we use, what kind of design standard we use. And there's a lot of innovation, you know, uh, out there. There's a lot of new product, new material that is going to last us a little bit longer than what we used back in the 50s and 60s.
4: Is modernization more than just what you use to build the bridges? Is it also how they're designed and how they can be more accessible to people?
3: Absolutely, all of it. All of it is, you know, all of what you just
4: said, uh, including
3: we just talked about the Bob Michael Bridge and and the four-foot white. Uh, pedestrian and bicycle facility. We're going to see, uh, not not the four foot fourteen, I believe, and we're going to see another four foot fourteen foot wide, dynamic luggage bridge. It is bringing all modes of transportation together, whether it's pedestrian facility, whether it's uh, uh bicycle facility, especially uh, in 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 the Peoria and Central Illinois area, where you have a lot of uh, trails that needs to be connected together. Uh, Whether it's Rock Island Trail, whether it's trails that's connecting East Peoria to Peoria, all that has to fit in in that bigger picture of how are you connecting all modes of transportation together and how are you making it available to everybody. Not, you you don't you you not necessarily have to have a car to move around. So if you want to use any mode of transportation, that must be accessible to you.
0: Illinois Department of Transportation Secretary and Peoria resident Omer Osman with WMBD's TJ Carson. There's a new presenting sponsor for this year's 4th of July Fireworks Show along the Peoria and East Peoria Riverfronts. It's a show that, of course, we at Midwest Communications put on every year. It's now going to be called Choose Greater Peoria, Red, White, and Boom!, Choose Greater Peoria has been working almost a year now on employee retention and attraction issues. Choose Greater Peoria is fronted by Gilmore Foundation President Laura Cullinan, who spoke recently with WMBD's Mike Wild and Sarah Varnes.
5: Choose Greater Peoria is a partnership between private philanthropy, that's the Gilmore Foundation, and our area's, our region's largest employers. And we've also recently added partnerships with the state of Illinois and our uh, local city governments, East Peoria and Peoria. And we also are partnering with our civic organizations, the Chambers, the Economic Development Council, Discover Peoria. So this is a true uh, regional effort um, with all the, all the right players involved, and we are so excited to be partnering with you and Red, White & Boom
6: how is uh how is choose greater pr going so far i mean i know a little bit about this cuz you and i have talked offline about this but tell us about your progress like so for instance you guys are uh all about talent acquisition in the market and i think talent retention too but also promoting the area in general but when it comes to talent you're getting a ton of resumes every week i mean it's it's really working already right
5: It is. We just launched in May of 2023, so we haven't even been live for one year, but we're getting around 80 resumes a week, and we characterize about 50 of those as qualified. So we're sending 50 qualified people to our investor businesses every week, and that number is just growing. It's been incredible, the interest that has been coming to Peoria. And as you said, it is a talent attraction campaign, so there's a... A sort of an external focus on promoting Peoria and the companies and, and the lifestyle, all the good things that we have here. But also there, there's going to be, you're going to see this around town more in 2024, an internal positive Peoria focus. People, um, we have incredible quality of life amenities um, in this area. And, you know, we need to start talking about it. We need to be bragging about this a little bit more. You said, so you'll be seeing a, a larger presence in 2024. Yeah.
6: You said something to me earlier when we were talking about this, uh, that the biggest cheerleaders for our area are people that come from outside the region.
5: Yeah, that seems to be, and I don't know what that is. Um, I can tell you that I chose to live in Peoria. I lived in Chicago for 15 years, moved here, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else to you know, be with my family. Because we chose Peoria, we're choosing time and and money and things that we didn't have before to do the things that we want to do. So we've got a 17-minute commute anywhere in the region, really. In Chicago, it was between 30 and 50 minutes, and you didn't know what was going to happen based on traffic patterns. I love Chicago, but I love having control to choose what I'm going to do after I'm finished with work. I can go to one of my kids' games. I can, you know, spend time doing hobbies, things that I love. So, um, yeah, you you can choose more. You can you have so many options for housing here. The quality of life, the quality of place, is incredible. And you know, we think with this partnership with Red, White, and Boom, that is a huge quality of life um, amenity. This is the biggest event downstate, the top fireworks show in all of Illinois. Um, so we're you know this this is just a great partnership, and we're we're grateful to be a part of it.
7: Well, Laura, we have a guest on later this afternoon uh, that's been doing pro Peoria TikToks, and so we've been talking about this the last few days, and that comes up very frequently. That we don't understand why the worst critics of Peoria are the people that live here, and everybody that visits here seems to like it and understands that we have so much to do here. There's just I wish we could get out of that negative connotation within our what I would call you know our four walls here, and I'm really hopeful that with your participation and the group's participation this year that we can kind of work together to start spreading that message and get more you know internal converts onto this pro peoria narrative that i would really like to see here
5: you know i this isn't a perfect place and so we're not going to act like it is and we can by acknowledging our imperfections we can kind of lean into that and and get our roll our sleeves up and do some work to make it better in the places that it needs to be improved. But I think it's not that there aren't as many positive. There probably are more pro Peoria people than there are or Peoria region, greater Peoria Mm -hmm. people than there are negative. But the negative voices, for some reason, those guys are the loudest. And so the call to action here is, you know, positive people, stop being so quiet, stop being so humble. Let's raise our voices a little bit, and, and we're going to try and
7: help amplify that message. I couldn't have said it better myself.
6: Yeah, I like the fact, too, that, um, you know, you have a lot of people that otherwise traditionally be, might even be competitors. Well, and, even, you know, honestly, even the cities themselves are, are coming together for you guys' effort. But the major medical uh, people in the area, there's so many other people that you, you really have this uh, partnership mentality with everything you guys are doing. It's really cool to see.
5: That's my favorite part about this whole movement campaign. You have the CEOs of the two competitive hospital system, Carl and OSF working together. You have the mayor of East Peoria and the mayor of Peoria working together on this there, you know, everyone has put aside that competitive piece and has said, what we care about most is the area and we're going to do what's best for the area. So let's get together and figure it out. And that's been beautiful. That's my favorite part of this whole thing.
6: Well, Laura, uh, we are really looking forward to uh, our partnership on this. Thank mm-hmm. you for your support of what has become the biggest downstate event. Uh, and it's the biggest fireworks show in the state of Illinois most years, yeah. uh, and including last year. Mm-hmm. And, and we expect that it will be this year as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a labor of love to us, and I, I can't wait to be working with you guys on this. And, and, and it's great to have you. I think you guys are a perfect title sponsor for this. Absolutely.
5: Mike, you're too humble. You said the biggest fireworks show most years. It's the biggest fireworks show. Okay. Yeah.
6: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I I think it is with everything that goes into it and the way we do it and and, and a simulcast of music and the way it's presented and everything. Really, I, if we do say so ourselves, it's a great show. But it's only a great show because you guys are going to be able to help support it. And and Laura, you know, we we're talking about like partnerships with other people. Uh, my gosh, there's 20. Public safety and law enforcement agencies that do this. Sean Saulberger, the Sean Salberger, the fire chief on the Peoria side, uh, heads up that group. Uh, but there's so many people involved. I mean, Bobby Zimmerman on the other side of the river is, is uh, well, Sean's counterpart is is part of this. The police chiefs, the uh, and, and it just goes right on down the line. And of course, the cities themselves, municipalities, yeah. um, and uh, East Peoria, Peoria, the, the the whole region is just so supportive. And we can't do it without everybody. It's us in the Park District too that. that that do this in the Park District have been great partners. So, you know, Emily and Nick and those guys. So we appreciate it, and welcome to the group. Yeah, Uh, it's definitely
7: a labor of love, and we are so excited to have you. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Yep. So
7: Shout-out to the Park District,
5: the largest park... Uh, district in the state of Illinois, and they're incredible. They They've are been great partners with us too, and yeah. that that does not this doesn't happen in other communities. You're pulling all these stakeholders holders together, and people really want to help.
0: Gilmore Foundation President Laura Cullinan speaking with WMBD's Mike Wild and Sarah Barnes. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us again next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in Central Illinois. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD. Radio News.